Hello, this is Len Tengis welcoming you to the iPodcast AGCMO Weekly Podcast. In each episode, we'll feature information about a contractor, specialty contractor, supplier, contracting agency, owner, or legislative or regulatory issue pertinent to the construction industry in Missouri. We'll feature industry professionals and other construction industry representatives to help our listeners stay up to date with current and future trends in construction. So here we go. Hi, and welcome back to iPodcast AGCMO. Today we have the chair of our Supplier Service Provider Council and a new member of the AGC of Missouri Board, J.D. Glisson. J.D., thanks for being with us. Thanks, Len. Glad to be here. Uh, J.D. is a partner with uh, Greensfelter. He is the leader of the construction industry group. So thanks for uh, agreeing to do this today. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself and really how you got not only into the law, but into the construction specialized area of the law. Absolutely. So I uh, grew up in central Illinois, about uh, two hours north of St. Louis, in a smaller town called Jacksonville. Attended the University of Illinois. The way I started on my path to construction was my undergrad degree was in civil engineering. And so logical fit going from civil engineering into construction law but I get asked by clients quite often well how'd you get out of engineering and into law and it's kind of an interesting story I actually have two uncles on opposite sides of the family that are both civil engineers Uh, one uh, for many many years was with waste management in charge of all their landfills across the country the other had his own business doing cryogenic insulation on tankers and LNG tanks around the world. And so both successful guys, I looked up to both of them. And about midway through my engineering curriculum at U of I, uh, I said, hey, guys, you know, if you had to do anything over again, and at this point they're both in senior management, what would you do? And they both said, go to law school. And really? I said, Why? Why law school? You guys have both had your whole career in you know, engineering-related fields. Uh, why are you suggesting law school? And they said, J.D., there's not a day that goes by that we don't deal with something that's legally related. Whether Makes it's a sense. contract, whether it's insurance, whether it's labor issues, whether we're looking at risks on the job, regulations, laws. They said half our time or more especially in a senior you know, leadership position, is dealing with some kind of issue that has legal implications. So they both suggested go to law school, and then from there, if you want to get back into you know, the construction industry or an engineering-specific field, you can always come back and you'll be able to use that skill set in your career. And so I took their advice, actually went from engineering into law school, the University of Illinois, And as I worked my way through law school, really enjoyed the practice of law Mm -hmm. and ultimately decided, I think I want to practice law. And so at that point, it became kind of a question of, well, what do I do as a lawyer? And the choice was obvious. I had that strong background in civil engineering. I enjoyed it. I liked that field. So I wanted to find a way to combine the practice of law and still use my civil engineering background. And, And so the obvious choice was construction law. Great so, fit. Yeah, absolutely. And Great fit. Well, it's, it helps to have some of that trade validity or that industry validity that you can blend with your law skills. Absolutely. You know, it, it is amazing. 
you know, even just in relationships with my clients, when, when they understand that you can look at a set of plans, read the plans, kind of understand what they're dealing with, you know, out in the field or on projects, it's kind of an instant credibility, really. You know, uh, they're not having to explain to their attorney, let me, let me tell you how this works. So what, what are some of the construction-related issues that your clients are dealing with right now? What do you see as sort of a prevalent thing you're dealing with? I know there's probably some outliers, but you probably see some patterns that you're seeing coming across your threshold every day. What, what are those right now? Well, I can tell you the big one, and I know this is, this is nothing that's this new to the AGC because you guys have been talking about it and dealing with it. But what I'm seeing, and it permeates throughout my clients, regardless of at what level, whether they're a, a prime contractor, especially contractor, whoever they may be, and that's labor shortage. I mean, it's, it's a real issue in terms of the impact it has on performance of contracts, you know, when, when I talk to everyone in the industry, they say, you know, we are struggling to find, you know, labor. We're, we're struggling to find sometimes contractors that have capacity because I think we have a combination of, you know, a, a resurgence in terms of construction, not only on a local level but on a national level, combined with, you know, sometimes people that have, during the downturn, perhaps left the, the industry or have retired who aren't being pl- replaced on a person-per-person basis by new people coming into the trades. So what are the legal implications of the workforce issue? Absolutely. Good question. There are, actually, there are many, many implications. The biggest one is, is schedule. All of our clients want to be on time and on budget. And if you have labor issues or performance issues, uh, it's going to impact your ability to finish the job on time. And so... I see lots of questions from clients saying, can we address this in our contract? Can we address the issue of labor shortage as an excusable delay, for example, or a force majeure event is a term of art we use for mm-hmm. something that is, is arguably beyond their control? Can we address that in our contract? Because it's going to start happening, and we're having trouble sometimes staying on schedule when we've got contractors who may have you know, labor issues to where they can't keep up. And so that's one of the issues. I think you also see, as, as these companies are trying to uh, replace the workforce and look for labor, you can have issues with making sure that safety is being followed and insurance issues and things like that. So when you've got a newly trained workforce, you need to make sure that you know, somebody who's been doing this for 20, 25, 30 years has a very solid grasp of safety and things like that. But sometimes people who may be brand new to the trades you know, there's there's a learning curve. So, so really, when you get into some of the contract performance issues, that's where it's really starting to hit. And folks want to write something into the contracts to give them some relief, give them some space to operate in. Is that sort of that, what you're seeing? That's exactly what we're seeing. And how how is are those being are those clauses going into the contracts, or is there some pushback <laughs> from the owner side, like, hey, whoa, 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 I got to get my project here. There's absolutely pushback, as you as you would expect. I mean, I think the owners are looking at this and saying, "Listen, you know, you need to work that into into your bid, into your proposal." Uh, which you know that sounds good in theory, but but that may not always be possible. And so, yes, there's you know we try to find middle ground, but but overall, I think it's a difficult concept to grasp for an owner to to understand the argument that hey, we may not be able to meet schedule because of the fact that. There just aren't enough, uh, you know, qualified, you know, 
individuals out there or companies out there sometimes. And, and it varies region from region, and it varies in terms of trade to trade and, and the type of work being performed. But uh, it's definitely something that will continue, I think, to be an issue. I think it, it may get, you know, come to the forefront even more over the next several years. So it, it's something we're continuing to work on. You know, one of the things that is also an additional concern that we're starting to see right now is the medical marijuana, the new legislation that's coming up in Missouri, and wondering if you're starting to see that trickle into concerns that your clients have right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, that was the discussion at a dinner event I was at the other night. Some people knew what I did, and they said, well, how are your clients dealing with that? And I think, you know, we can look to the states that have had the legislation enacted for some time now for some guidance. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, but, But certainly... Uh, our contractor clients and industry groups, you know, they have to stick to their safety programs. They have to stick to their drug programs because regardless of whether or not uh, there, you know, there may be medicinal marijuana that is uh, ultimately allowed. I mean, the reality is, and it doesn't just affect the construction, it affects a lot of different events where a lot of different um, industries uh, where uh, safety is a top concern. So uh, it's definitely an issue people are asking lots of questions about and, and how to, what is the impact of state law versus, you know, our right to have our own drug and safety programs. Right. And, and it's definitely a hot topic. So, so how, how did you migrate from being in a construction industry group attorney at Greensfelter into AGC in Missouri? How did that transition occur? Well, it's, you know, the AGC uh, for our firm has always been a very important organization goes back all the way to a guy that I know you know and, and many people in the legal construction industry and even a lot of people in the, in the construction industry overall know, and that's Jim Hawkins. And Jim, uh, we call him the godfather of construction law. And Jim was on our board in the past. He, he was on the AGC Missouri board Absolutely. several years ago. And, and so I think under Jim's leadership uh, many years ago as he founded our construction group, he made sure that the AGC was a very important part of what we do as a practice group, the construction practice group. And so, you know, I came up through the ranks as a young attorney being involved in different AGC events, and whether that was going to the annual gala or through golf tournaments or volunteering at different things. It's always been something that, that I found enjoyable and a, and a lot of value professionally to be involved. And so... Uh, it made sense when the opportunity came up for me to, to have more of an active role at, at the council level and then at the board level. It was something that I definitely wanted to do. Well, I'll tell you, Jim has a special place in my heart because when we were starting the Construction Career Center Charter High School, we were on a fundraising campaign to get it started. It's the reason why I st- always work on New Year's Eve to this day because Jim called me about 10 o'clock on December 31st and said, I manage a trust. They need to make a contribution or a donation to a 501c3 before midnight tonight. If you're at the office, I can bring a check over for you this afternoon. I said, Jim, come on over. And that was really the first significant contribution that we got to the Construction Careers Center was through Jim's largesse. So he was a great guy to work with. Uh, Absolutely. I learned a tremendous amount from him about the practice and about giving back and being involved in the industry. So. so as chair of the Supplier Service Providers Council, what are some of the things that you guys are struggling with 
at the council and what do you hope to bring to the board this year? Well, I think, you know, a couple of different things. You know, the big focus of the council the last several years has been the AGC First Award. Describe that a little bit. It's a great idea, great concept. Essentially, the idea behind the award is to really encourage and recognize involvement in the AGC. In other words, we want to create a culture where AGC members really look to other AGC members as someone who they can work with, who perhaps, you know, uh, from a service provider perspective, for example, the idea would be, you know, members of the AGC, once they know that I'm an AGC, my firm is an AGC member and we're active, hey, you know, we're going to talk to you. It doesn't mean necessarily that we will hire you, but we want to, as an AGC member, we want there to be value in this community we've created, and we want to encourage everybody to participate at every level. And so I, I think it's a great concept, great idea. And we've now gone through, I think, two cycles, a couple of years of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what we want to do this year and going forward is increase the participation. I think, you know, we've, we've had some problems with messaging and with making sure everybody understood exactly what the criteria are. And so I think what you're going to see, and we haven't talked a lot about it yet, but is a, is a little bit of a shift this year. Instead of having a single award winner, We'd rather make this more of a credential uh, where we have some threshold criteria with the hopes being that there'll be a lot of members that qualify for the award. Trying to take more of an inclusive approach to where in a perfect world we may have, you know, a a big chunk of the AGC members that receive the AGC first credential as opposed to just picking one. Uh, And so we're going through right now trying to figure out what that means and what the criteria are going to be and how can we massage those to still make sure this is a a a valuable recognition, but perhaps open it up to a few more people. Because I think there was a concern. Some people thought, oh, we don't do enough to qualify. Even though some of these people who said that were heavily involved. Sure. Committee membership. You were seeing them at all the events, yet they thought, oh, we're not to the agency first level. And so we want to debunk that that myth and let people know that, no, you are active, and, and there are a lot of very active people. And so that's our challenge and our goal this year on the AGC First is to kind of shift it from more of a single winner to more of a credential. And we've got some exciting ideas about how we're going to do that. That's so. great. That's great. Well, thank you. To sort of uh, loop back here just a little bit to the legal issues, you know, we talked about the workforce thing and that sort of thing. Any other outliers or any other sort of things that you see as something that your construction industry group is starting to see? bubble up a little bit well yeah you know this and this relates more specifically to the construction law practice but but one of the things that that we're working on is each with each passing year the amount of electronic communication in the construction industry increases i mean we're seeing now you know everybody on the job sites with mobile devices doing their daily logs we're seeing a lot of the communication on the projects via email or text And so what that means, especially from a construction law perspective, is there is a tremendous amount of digital information now with any kind of construction project, regardless of size. I mean, you just think about every day how much electronic communication takes place. Everything now in terms of drawings and everything often is on some kind of management software platform or package. Mm -hmm. And so what we have to try to balance is if we get into a dispute, Uh, One of the things that I like about the construction law practice on the dispute side is 
we really roll up our sleeves and we kind of get into the project records and figure out what happened. Right. And that's where the engineering, my background, comes into play because you can, you can look at drawings and you can look at some of the things that went back and forth and, and kind of relive the project to an extent. Well, imagine, you know, when I started the practice, you know, you might have four or five big boxes of project records for a project. Now we've got terabytes of data, certainly gigabytes, but oftentimes terabytes of data. And how do we, in an economical and efficient manner, get through that information so that we can properly advise our clients and help them in a dispute. And so it's a balancing. It's a real balancing issue. And that's only going to go up. I was reading uh, industry forecasts the other day and talking about how as there are more LIDAR machines and more capturing of all the electronic schedules and the as belts and all this other sort of thing, that data is just exploding. Absolutely. It really is. And so what I'm excited about and kind of the cutting edge right now in our construction law practice is artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing now is we have software that when we get all these records in digital format, there is software out there now that has an artificial intelligence component to where you can work with it, put in certain keywords, certain issues, and maybe you pick out 100 documents that you think are representative of the project and maybe the issue in the project. And the software will learn and teach itself and be able to go through those gigabytes, hundreds of gigabytes or terabytes of data so that an individual doesn't have to put eye on, you know, that many different pages of electronic information. So it's a way to where we're going to be able to be a little more efficient, a little more cost effective in being able to handle disputes for our clients. And I think you're even going to see it on the transaction side. We're not there yet, but but in the future, I think there may be some opportunities in terms of contract reviews and things like that where there may be some, some software that comes along. Certainly so. changes the role of the project manager in the field and a lot of the craft workers and the architect and the engineers all the way down the line, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And, you know, a, a side point on that, and I often talk about this in, in seminars, you know, with the evolution of electronic communication, there has been kind of a psychological effect with how people communicate. And it's very interesting, but they've done studies that when somebody sends an email, in their mind it's as if they're talking on the phone. And so sometimes they say and do things in an email that perhaps, you know, they shouldn't. (laughs) And so, you know, I tell people, be very careful what you're saying in emails. Uh, You're not, this isn't a casual conversation. This isn't a phone call. You need to be very deliberate in terms of what you're saying and think about what you're saying in these communications because, you know, in this day and age, and it's like I tell my kids with social media, once it's out there on the Internet, it's out there. Maybe to update an old axiom, instead of measure twice, cut once, now it's write twice, hit send once. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. Or maybe you wait a little while before you send it. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I appreciate it, J.D. Let me ask you, in wrapping up, is there anything else you just want to share before we wrap up for this session? Well, I just want to say I really appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate everything you guys do. I'm really looking forward to this year on the board. It's a great way, first of all, for me to, to meet a lot of people in the industry, a way to help help the industry through all the activities and through the programs that the AGC has. So looking forward to it, and I appreciate uh, the chance to do this podcast with you, Lynn. Well, we certainly appreciate your support and the support of Greensfelter going forward, so thanks a million. All right. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. It's easy to subscribe to iPodcast AGCMO in the iTunes Store or on Google Play. 
As always, you can visit us at agcmo.org for additional downloads and information. Thank you.